The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. This is yet another Halloween-themed episode that can also be enjoyed uh, uh, throughout the year. The theme is, is not Halloween-specific, but it goes very, it pairs nicely with Halloween, like a it nice does. cheese with it's a wine. It's very subtle, right? Yeah. Subtle tones of Halloween-ness. And in fact, we're wearing, yet again, uh, some Halloween costumes while we record this. Yeah, what, yeah. what are you wearing? Uh, well, I am, of course, my favorite uh, movie monster. I am Gamera, as you notice from the, the large plastic turtle shell on my back, oh. the uh, cool little... Uh, uh, tusks that I've painted uh-huh. onto my face, uh-huh. and uh, and the uh, the tail. You can't see the tail, but I also have a, a large turtle tail trailing. Well, yeah, me. it's I I did see it out in the other room. Yeah, and I've lined the floor with tiny Japanese buildings, which uh, I'm stepping on even now. It's really elaborate yeah. too. I can't believe you extended it all the way to the break room. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of work. I've been I've been at work for 48 hours doing this. Oh, me. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. What's this yes, you got going on? I I am dressed as a as a, my imaginary friend. Ooh, my creepy imaginary friend. Very timely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm a little girl with like a 1950s dress and a huge giant bow and <laughs> giant saucer eyes yes. and bangs. Yeah, it was it was it was an extra uh, step I thought to dilate your eyes that intensely. Yeah, I mean, just a couple yeah. hours. It's gonna last, but it's fine. I mean, I just. Uh, Thank you for helping me through the hallway. Though. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm good luck reading those notes. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> the, the creepy childhood imaginary friend. This does pop up in horror movies, of course, because it's one of those things where 
as adults, we'll see a, a child talking to something that isn't there and referring mm-hmm. to it by name. And it can be a little like, woo, what kind of creature is this that lives in this house and talks to things that don't exist? Uh, and we've seen it taken to um, extremes in such horror movies as The Exorcist, where the little girl, of course, has this imaginary friend mm-hmm. uh, called Pazuzu, and she makes this little statue of it, and it looks exactly like this ancient demon statue from the Middle East that we see in the, the opening scenes, this demon that's making dogs fight or something. That's what that is. My yeah. daughter just just fashioned one of those out of Play-Doh oh, the other day. Yeah? yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. That what well, means, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's still, she made it for you. You should still put it on the fridge. She didn't say she made it for me, and then she lit all these tiny torches around it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why it's creepy, right? Because you observe this in a kid, and you think, who are you talking to? Or initially, it's creepy until you get introduced to the imaginary friend, and you well, understand that it's... Part and parcel of their imagination. Yeah, well, like share your your child's uh, example. Oh, she has two, Lily and Fifi. Okay. And my kid's two and a half, so, you know, she's uh, she's not doing a lot with them. I mean, she's cooking with them. She made eggplant parmesan with them the other mm-hmm. day. Uh, she made a, a what she called a castle home for them out of, of, of blocks. But, yeah, I, I hear her talking to them. And the first time I did hear her talking to Lily, I I, I kind of stopped what I was doing and said, what? Who are you talking to? Because, <laughs> you know, it kind of li- raises the hackles a little bit like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, I I don't remember. Do you remember ever having an, an imaginary friend or hearing about yourself having one? Uh, no, no. But yeah. there's some research I came upon that, that we can talk about later that that struck a chord with me. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think I ever, ever had one. No one ever told me that I spoke of one. And, uh, I, my wife doesn't remember having one either, but she, there was a time when her family may or may not have lived in a haunted house. And she definitely came to her grandma and said, there's a man in the bathtub and there was no man in the bathtub. So but, there's a creepy bald guy in the, in the bathtub. Yeah. Is so, what, I mean, I'm thinking that's a weird imaginary friend. Well, I'm not saying it was an imaginary friend, but as we'll discuss, the, the imaginary friend stems from uh, just this sort of imaginative, magical thinking in general. Yeah. And I could see where it could also on occasion produce uh, ghosts. So, yeah, uh, just to throw some quick stats out or there. Or the idea of ghosts. The idea yeah. of ghosts. Yeah. Uh, just to throw some quick stats out there. Sixty five percent of children up to the age of seven uh, have had an imaginary friend at mm-hmm. least one time or another. Only in firstborn children are most likely to have imaginary playmates. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found this really telling. Uh, girls are more likely to have invisible friends, while boys are more likely to transform themselves. So, like where the girl might imagine that they have a friend who is mm-hmm. having the tea party with them, um, the boy would just imagine that he is a ninja and, uh, you know, At the fall off a slide or something, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And I was, I definitely, looking back, I can, I remember probably to an inappropriate age, <laughs> I still had this very rich, I guess I still have an inappropriately rich uh, fantasy uh, life in my head. But, but I remember, you know, getting caught up in these fictions that I would create in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at times I would like pretend I was a spy or, or, uh, like I remember walking around, uh, this might have been like sixth grade mm-hmm. and to sort of pass the time I was pretending that I was like a covert agent on an, on a, like a, a Cobra spaceship or something. Well, yeah. And you know, it's funny too. Uh, my brother and I, I don't know that we would say, uh, this animal called Kronja, which was a stuffed gorilla we had was an imaginary friend, but we made up so many stories about him and we still laugh to this day because, uh, we, one of the places we used to go with Kronja was to Marijuana Island. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Babysitter check. Uh, which is so funny now because we look back and we're like, we had no idea what Marijuana Island was, but I you know we came up with all these, uh, 
elaborate stories about this. So anyway, yes, imaginative play is really important. And uh, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal called The Power of Magical Thinking. And uh, there's a quote from it. I love it. it says, whenever you think about the Civil War or the Roman Empire or possibly God, you're using your imagination, says Paul Harris, a development psychologist and professor at Harvard Graduate School of Education who studies imagination. The imagination is absolutely vital for contemplating reality, not just those things we take to be mere fantasy. Uh, so we know that there's evidence that imagination and role playing is really key in helping kids to develop perspective, which we've talked about in terms of the theory of mind. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point about uh, about re- reading about the past, because because mm-hmm. ultimately, um, if you're reading about if you're reading The Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. or if you're reading, uh, uh, you know, some like, you know, tightly researched uh, historical book, not, not even a fiction, but just a straight up. This is what we think life was like yeah. in ancient Rome or something. You're still having to use like the same faculties to transport yourself there and imagine the sense data around you of this either fanciful or historically accurate setting. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can also factor in the whole point that uh, we we can never be completely accurate with our historical representations, especially you know the farther we go back in time. Right, right. So we always think that we're grounded in reality or mm-hmm. or some sort of realism, when in fact we are having to engage that part of our brain quite a bit to to really inhabit a different perspective or a different time period, as you were talking right. about. And again, this is going back to theory of mind. Which we talked about before when we, were, uh, when we recorded Don't Eat the Panda about the reason why we, we sometimes have a hard time, uh, squaring the fact that we eat an animal, um, with the fact that we can't help but inhabit the perspective of an animal just because we're hardwired to survive like this. So you've got to try to anticipate what the next move will be, whether or not you're, you're seeking, you know, your next dinner or you're trying to make some sort of strategic play on the court. Yep. We have this ability as humans to uh, take what we know about ourselves and use it to understand and predict the behavior of others. Mm-hmm. And uh, it gives us, a, like you say, a, a basic evolutionary advantage. But then there's a certain amount of bleed over into these other areas uh, of our thought life. Like? Like imaginary friends, like imagined uh, realities that aren't real. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as being, you know, we've, we've discussed multiple times, we're part of a world of fixed and movable objects, of symbols, of social organizations. We have to navigate this world. Mm-hmm. And part of, part of that is being able to predict what other people are going to do, uh, theory of mind, what other settings will be like. For instance, anytime you go uh, to, say, a doctor's office, mm-hmm. say you're going to a new doctor's office. You have a basic idea in mind what that experience is going to be like based on previous experiences. So you you have a fictional version of that place before you actually right. uh, uh, reach that point. Any of us have, uh, have probably spoken on the phone with somebody that we know in a setting that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, like, if you have a spouse or a friend or family member that is staying in a hotel room out of town and you're talking to him on the phone, you end up picturing where they are. Mm-hmm. In your mind, I mean, you may not even be putting a lot of thought into it. You may not be building this false room piece by piece, but your imagination is kicking in to predict what that space is like. I was thinking about it even in a in a more dramatic context, and I was thinking about the third man syndrome, which we talked oh, yes. about in our doppelganger mm-hmm. podcast, and that's uh, when all of a sudden a, a third, you know, it's, let's say it's you and me, and we're sitting here, and something life threatening happens to us, and all of a sudden I imagine a third man or a third woman with us 
possibly helping us through whatever this life-threatening situation is. And this has been documented, right? And we've seen this. Um, with mountain climbers who were stranded, 9-11 um, survivors. Yeah, yeah, the account where there was like this other guy in the stairwell with them, like helping them escape. Mm-hmm. And, and it later, you know, turns out there was no such man. No, right. but he felt like that person was so real and that right. person actually helped uh, him to get out of the building and instructed him. And I was just thinking like, this is a, a great example of how your imagination kicks in to really help you not just predict the future, but to even deal with the present. Yeah, our imagination, far from being just this uh, curious little trinket we uh, we haul out to uh, pass the time and make the world a little more fun, I mean, it's an important uh, and essential part of our mental faculties and allows us to navigate this world around us. Which is why it's so important that kids engage in this, right? right. As, you, as you said, 65% of kids actually do this. And it's funny because before um, the, a really uh, a landmark study on this was done, um, and this was a, a study that was done by Marjorie Taylor. She's a psychology professor at the University of Oregon and the author of a book called Imaginary Companions and the Children Who Create Them. Before she did the study, which was a, a study that then had a 10 year follow up on it, people thought or psychologists thought that maybe one in three kids were engaging in this. Okay. But again, we know that a lot of kids are doing this. Um, and fantasy play is really correlated with other positive attributes. In preschool children, for example, kids who have imaginary friends are more creative. They have a greater social understanding, and they're better at assuming the perspective of others, as we talked about. Yeah, there are the theories that say that really imaginative children and ones that have imaginary friends, it's it's showing that the theory of mind is actually kicking in a little early. Because yeah. this is not something that the child is born knowing. That's one of the reasons, like, small children are are also kind of like aliens Mm -hmm. because it it takes them a while to develop that point where Mm -hmm. they can, they can put themselves in another person's shoes. If they were taking that replicant test uh, in Blade Runner, they would fail it and Harrison Ford would arrest them. Uh, it's true. And actually, I was just thinking about this is a marker of genius. Um, the, the fact that a child can do this early, right? This imaginative mm-hmm. play and not just have imagined friend, but uh, create imaginative worlds. Yes. Um, so it's definitely something that parents should, uh, be happy about when they see their kid engaging in this. Um, but I found it really fascinating that Taylor found these, uh, that, that imaginative friends could very, you know, wildly across the board. Right. Like it's more than just little girls that another little girl plays with or a little boy that convinces one another little boy that he needs to do something bad. Right. It could, you know, they could have one imaginative friend. They could have 15 imaginative wow. friends. Um, and here are some examples. One, one girl had an uh, invisible nine-year-old squirrel. <laughs> and then there was a little boy who had skateboard guy. Whoa. Um and this was an invisible 11-year-old who lived in his pocket and popped up at boring moments to do tricks on his skateboard. And then, um, again, one of my favorites, although this is kind of horrible, elephant, a seven-inch high pachyderm that wore a tank top and shorts and sometimes was mean. Oh. But I thought that was fascinating just because I've heard about this before. I've heard about imaginary friends that were jerks. And psychologists say that they, that sometimes kids have jerk imaginary friends just because they're working out that, again, assuming perspective and role playing and becoming a little bit more sophisticated in how to navigate the, the social world unfolding before them. Yeah. This is where we get into the, yeah, that idea of like the, the kid who has the imaginary friend that either that either tells him to knock over a vase yeah. or actually did knock over the vase mm-hmm. and is getting blamed for it. 
Yeah, and this is this uh, is another finding that Taylor found that kids as old as 12 years old had uh, imaginary playmates, and she cited a German researcher who thinks that teen diarists uh, diarists keeping a diary experienced a similar phenomenon when they addressed their musings to a specific person, and you know, dear diary, huh. um, and that this person takes on the guise of a friend. And this hmm. is where I found some similarities in my own life when I was that age, because I felt like I had a, 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 the same kind of um, relationship with my diary or something that someone was there listening. Is it possible that your diary was a horcrux? No. Okay. I checked it out. Okay. I'm just making sure. I uh, And no, there's, there's absolutely no uh, possibility that my diary would be one. Taylor interviewed about 50 adult novelists, okay, and uh, including mystery writer Sue Grafton to see if the same kind of relationship existed between them and their characters and nearly all reported that at some point their characters seemed to come to life and outside of their control. Yeah. Yeah. Which brought Taylor to, you know, to this point of, well, maybe an imaginary friend doesn't necessarily go away as you age. Maybe it morphs into something else, which I find fascinating. Well, excellent. Let's take a quick break. And then we come back, we'll get into this. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of tomorrow and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right, and we're back. Uh, before we get into the idea of adult imaginary friends, um, which is really fascinating, there's also this idea that, uh, that young children, when they uh, engage with imaginary friends, they're using something that is essentially a socialization simulator. Mm-hmm. It's like a Star Trek holodeck, except they're running through simulations of what it's like to interact with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a safe place to work that out. Again, that's why they might have an imaginary friend who's not so nice, right? Right. Because then once they kind of go through uh, the role playing of that, then they can, you know, in theory, be able to better handle kids that might be jerks to them. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense if like a kid encounters a real jerk at, pre- at preschool. That they might have a simulated jerk to work out exactly right. how these scenarios would go. You know, right. it blows my mind, but it does make make perfect sense. I can see how that would be the case. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about how nuanced human beings are. Even sometimes we don't feel like it, right? Given the day, but how complex we are, and how complex our emotions are, and how we have those micro expressions in which uh, uh, an emotion can pass over our face in under like eighteenth of a second or something. Mm-hmm. And in order to be able to to get that, to be able to to Look at another human being and detect that micro expression really takes a lot of practice, right? And it all starts with these very basic things like, you know, how do I deal with uh, negotiating this social circumstance? You know, give me back my banana yeah. or my stuffed toy or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so adult imaginary friends. Yeah. Do they exist? Okay. Well, do possibly. You have one? Not with me currently. Okay. Yeah. She because this week she's a she is not she's she took a little break she's not actually allowed in the podcast booth but um there's some interesting information coming out on this so consider this the average american watches more than four and a half hours of tv a day okay Okay. now consider this other fact according to researcher john capiocho at the university of chicago 20 percent of all people are unhappy because of social isolation at any given moment right all right so there's this idea that parasocial relationships are emerging and that that adults are in particular are creating these relationships with characters on TV. 
And these are basically like one-sided pseudo-relationships. Yep. In a 2009 article published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, researchers tested the social surrogacy hypothesis, and the findings suggested that people spontaneously seek out social surrogates um, when real interactions are unavailable, which would make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, just, to, an, to an extreme, it's like uh, the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks and the volleyball. Oh, right, right. right. Wilson. Yeah. Right, right. Take what you can get at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, you've got your imagination, and you have this person in front of you that looks like they could uh, be your friend, right? Like, uh, what was the show Friends that uh, you brought up the other day where people felt such an affinity with them? Yeah, or um, uh, in my case, I remember being in college. There was a point in college when I didn't really have that many um, acquaintances or, or friends. I, I had a few, but there was a lot of alone time. And uh, I remember having this affinity for news radio and, and 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 it would it really kind of felt like those characters were my friends and uh looking back and it was kind of weird and a little creepy but um, that's right so when you hear npr now do you hear like there's certain voices that you feel like yeah in, in a sense i feel like that's one of the values of radio mm-hmm. and, and podcasts because the individual's that you listen to are kind of like they're right there with you. They're in your head with you. They're almost they're as, as close as your breath when you're listening to, say, Ira Glass mm-hmm. or, or maybe you're listening to us. There's a you, you or feel ricocheting like, around in your head right now. Yeah, yeah you, you get this affinity for, for the voice. You feel like they're, they're you're, you're kind of pals on some sort of unreal level. And you're like, oh, God, if Julie brings up one more example of excrement and I have to listen to her obsession <laughs> with it. I'm just going to die. So you start to feel like, oh, yes, okay, I start to know these people on some level. Right. And to go back to the whole social simulation thing, too, Mm -hmm. it it also helps pattern the way that you behave in social situations. You sort of observe how this network of characters are behaving and you you pattern your expectations and your behavior based on them. I mean, it, it, it makes perfect sense. Well, in this study that the journal talked about, the participants were asked to write about TV shows after being asked a series of questions, uh, non-TV related mm-hmm. questions about re- their relationships. And they found that participants who recalled a fight with a close person in their lives wrote for significantly longer about their favorite TV show than a non-favorite TV show. They also found that these participants suffered less of a self-esteem blow, negative moods and feelings of rejection than their non-TV watching counterparts, which I thought was pretty fascinating. So they're able to deflect some of these uh, feelings of loss that sometimes come up in relationships that we have to negotiate every day by basically taking that energy and, and putting it into these TV characters. And to come back to what you mentioned earlier about the authors, too, like the idea that a fictional character mm-hmm. becomes alive and becomes its own thing, um, like the fictional character they're writing. I've always found that really fascinating, both in the way authors describe it and then also in my own experiences. Like if I'm writing about a, like a fictional character, it's kind of like surfing. Anybody who's ever, who, who's ever surfed, there's like this magic moment, like you're swimming as hard as you can mm-hmm. on the surfboard. And then there's this magic moment where the, the wave catches the board and is propelled by its own energy. And that's the way it feels when you're writing a character. And then the, there's a point where the character becomes real enough to where on a certain level, uh, on a varying level, you don't know what that character is going to do on the page. Well, and you're you're preoccupied with that character, right? right. Whether yeah. or not you're writing it or you're watching it on TV. Yeah. Because you're really, you're immersing yourself in the experience. And that's when you know, hey, that's when you know you've got a good story going, right? Um, right. Or you've written a good storyline and someone is investing time in, in thinking about the, the psyche of another person who is fictional, right? I, I talked about this um, and that I was looking up some recipes on a certain website 
from this chef, and she had a slew of recipes that were dedicated to the show True Blood. Oh, yes. And she was saying, oh, I think Sookie would eat this sandwich and so on and so forth. And I remember thinking, oh, God, really? But then I thought, oh, well, I have, I've certainly dedicated enough mental time to that show as well and considered the characters. Um, just, you know, I might be doing laundry or even doing work, and all of a sudden a character will pop up in my brain. And, and I think that is fascinating that I am giving mental time to this construct. Well, I have to say, I've never actually thought about what kind of sandwich I would cook for, I would make for Sookie, or what kind of what kind of sandwich she might make for me. But um, you should think about that. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll, I'll have to have to ponder that. So, um, but what happens when your favorite TV show goes away? Well, that's you the can, problem, well, right? Yeah, I have friends who are like mad into Saved by the Bell, and, and on one level, I'm just kind of I kind of roll my eyes at it, you know, because uh, it's an awful American TV show. It is, but but then I have to remind myself, all right, this is something that they they probably they're nostalgic for. It mm-hmm. was a part of their growing up, and you can easily imagine, say, uh, you know, you're in elementary school or you're or you're in junior high, and there's a show that um, for the most part shows you successful social teenagers uh, interacting with one another and doing so in the correct way. And uh, <laughs> and so you can't help but participate in that as a, as a kind of social uh, simulation. You probably are bonding with them and, and sort of uh, taking them on as surrogate friends. Yeah. So even though the show has been off the air forever, you, I can see where you could you could still put that show in and still get a sense of that. Uh, belonging with them, you know? No, I get it. It's just saved by the bell. Yeah. I have a real problem with that Screech character. Yeah, yeah. It's, there there are some definite issues to take uh, take with that character. But hearing you say that and, and having had a roommate who was completely um, entranced by Saved by the Bell, I, do, I think you got something there. Well, I, I, I don't think there are any – there are no TV shows that I go back and watch over and over again. But there are certain uh, – there are certain books that I reread like every year where the, like, and the characters do feel very authentic to me. And I and they're like old friends. I mean, the books are kind of like old friends, too. I imagine that's that's the way it is. If you're I mean, I don't really watch I don't watch news radio anymore. I think I tried once and I just couldn't get over. I can't watch anything with a laugh track anymore. But yeah, but yeah. there was a but I but I wanted to. I remember wanting to reconnect with these characters. Well, this is interesting. Uh, this is, uh, according to Jonathan Cohen, he's a researcher and psychologist who authored a study that examined the responses of television viewers to the potential loss of their favorite television characters. Viewers anticipated experiencing the same negative reactions to parasocial breakups as they experience when their real social relationships dissolve. Huh. So, it, I mean, just because these people don't exist doesn't necessarily mean that you can't feel the same thing for them once they go away, right? Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, it's – I have two thoughts on this. First of all, there's a major American HBO crime drama that was probably the best television show we've had. Sopranos? No. Oh, which one? Well, uh, okay, it's The Wire. But there is a character that goes away at some point, and I remember when that character went away, I, I was like, how can we go on? How can we go on with this show? <laughs> and how can I go on without this character uh, in my life? You, my friend, had an adult imaginary friend. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty cool. But but then the show got even more awesome uh, without this character. So, so I, you know, I know it brings up all sorts of questions because, um, you know, obviously we are conducting our relationships more and more online. Right. Uh, via social media. And uh, so you sort of wonder if. If this is just part and parcel of, of our modern age, right? Yeah. Like if you're interacting on a message board, sure. I, I know message boards normally, 
you know, you'll have uh, situations where you have threads where people will share pictures of themselves or depending on the community, people may often share pictures of themselves uh, <laughs> in varying stages of undress. Who knows? In, in weird costumes. Uh, it, it varies. The Internet is a, a big tent. Mm-hmm. But I think in a lot of cases, you are also imagining what these people look like. You don't really have a firm idea of what they look like. And it's also that case with uh, uh, with with uh, radio and podcast personalities. I know we've had uh, we've had pinched people mention that we don't look like we should look right based like, on what they think, which right. I totally get, because uh, any time that you've read a book and it's been made into a movie, haven't you said that's not what I thought that person looked right, like? Right. Yeah. And I find that I am that way with certain radio personalities, even if I know what they look like mm-hmm. um, or uh, or audiobook uh, personalities. Take uh, David Sedaris. I know what David Sedaris looks like. I've, right. I've seen him live. I, 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 if I stop to think about it, I can picture him. But when I hear him speak and read his own work, I picture David Hyde Pierce. And that's the only oh, wow. thing. Oh, wow. That's know, a really good fit. Yeah, it is a good fit. It's good casting. But I know better. I know what he looks right. like. Right. Like, there is actual real David Sedaris. Yeah, we there is a real to, David Sedaris. David Hyde Pierce does him, not so. need, need to play him. But, but see, that brings into question what is an authentic experience and what is inauthentic when we know we're uh, hardwired to seek out connections with one another, but we're also compelled to create our own reality to engage our imagination, right? Yeah. All right. So imaginary friends, I'm going to ask my imaginary friend to hand me some uh, listener mail. Thank you, Jorge. Uh, now I will, uh, I just have the one to read, but it's a really cool one. Listener Robert McLaren uh, writes in, and I'm using his last name because he said it was cool, because he uh, listened to our episode about the cubed earth. Mm-hmm. What, would it be, what would a cube earth or a cube planet be like? Yeah. And he was like, hey, I did a Google image search. All the images were kind of crappy, yeah. you know, because there are true. It, it is like for the original blog posts that uh, this stemmed from. I had to find like a very basic. Here is a here is a globe, and now it is a cube kind of mm-hmm. image. It looks like it was made in Photoshop. And so uh, Robert is, uh, here, Robert McLaren is a really talented artist, and so he's like, I can do better than that. I am going to make an artistic representation of what a cube planet would look like, and he sent in this amazing photo. So um, I mean, not. <laughs> He actually traveled into space and, and photographed it. Right. Now, he, he, he created this awesome work of art showing like uh, the, the exactly how we were describing it, the way the atmosphere is still uh, spherical, yeah. but how the end, the edges of the cubes are like mountains poking above the atmosphere. And it's just really awesome. So uh, do check that out. It should be on the How Stuff Works blogs, and we'll also have yeah. that reference on the Facebook. It's a really elegant representation, and I want it on a T-shirt. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Robert, for that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, look him up, Robert McLaren. He has a, a website and everything. That's M-C-L-A-R-E-N. So if you have stuff you want to share with us, um, be it really cool art that you've made or just some really cool thoughts that you've thunk, then, uh, <laughs> then you may find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. And we would also love to hear about your own experiences with imaginary friends. Have you had them? How many? Uh, what were they like? Were they, were they tiny pachyderms being mean to you? I hope not. Um, but anyway, you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. 
Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 